me personally, anyway, I hate confrontation. It's not one of my favorite aspects of being a business owner. So I would just let things slide. And I'm like, eh, it's better just to I'll take care of that. And $20 here or there built up. And so I keep everything very organized in my billing now. And I'm very upfront with my clients. And I'm like, hey, can we do this? If we can't, totally fine. We'll move on to the next. But it's just definitely uh, communication is key in any good relationship and especially in your business. That way, everybody knows what's going on and you know what you're getting billed for. And everybody's happy at the end of the day. on the rail at a jog please on the rail at a jog hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of on the rail podcast we have an in the pen episode for you guys today with a lovely trainer i will let her introduce herself and if you just want to give our listeners some background you know maybe how you got started in horses and maybe those earliest experiences and memories you may have. All right. Hi, I am Kayla Kohler of Kayla Kohler Show Horses in Ocala, Florida. I run an all-around quarter horse paint operation. Love the trail, western riding, hunter under saddle. My earliest memories of the horse industry was probably showing the open shows down in South Florida where I'm from. I started showing, or actually started riding when I was about two. My parents joked that it was the first word I ever said was horse. So I was obsessed from the beginning. So they got me in to a lesson program with actually my aunt. My mom's sister rides and trains Appaloosas. And I started there. And quickly, they realized trying to get me into ballet or cheerleading or soccer just was not making me want to do anything but the horses. My mom was absolutely terrified of them. So she tried everything to get me out of them. But I definitely was obsessed and actually started training professionally at 15. So yep, early. So and it just stuck. I was good at it and absolutely loved it. The rest is history. That's awesome. At 15 years old. Yep. That's crazy. It really was. It was kind of a weird thing to break into. We took a step back from the quarter horse stuff when I was like 14. And just financially, it got expensive. And we took a step back and brought our horses home and started going to open shows again up here in Ocala. And some people approached me with actually a colt. And it was a own son of a sudden impulse. And they said he was four. He was kind of rogue, needed some riding, and they wanted to get their son some lessons. So I would travel to people and they would have me come out and ride. And it just kind of evolved from there. Like I technically probably shouldn't have been driving at 15 by myself, but I did. But I actually got my first training horses and all like at my barn when I was 15 years old. I couldn't even personally drive them to the horse shows. Wow. That's crazy. Maybe you don't want to say this, but how old are you now? I am 33. 33. Okay. So that gives an idea of 
how this has come along. So you never competed in amateur then, obviously. You were just straight from youth to, to professional. Correct. I started training right as I went from my youth career. The next year was open status. And what along your way, especially as a youth kid, like developed your desire to do the training thing or to not want to show as an amateur? Probably like the financial aspect of it was a big thing for me was Mm -hmm. as a 15, 16, 17 year old, I was just so stoked to actually have people pay me. And it was not a lot of money back then. I thought it was a ton, but I was homeschooled. So I would just do my schoolwork in the morning and then I would go ride all day. And just to have somebody want me to ride their horse and pay me for it, I was like, I don't want to do anything else. So I thought it was the best thing ever. And so as I progressed and that time came to change over either to amateur, I just college wasn't for me. And I decided that this was going well so far. And I had already, by the time I turned 18, had a lot of clients. So I was very fortunate. On that note, when you were younger, what was your aunt more of like the person that you were, you know, getting guidance from? Or who were those people that you were looking towards at that age to get you motivated and inspired? Yeah. So like I said, from a young age, I started riding and showing. I got my first real horse like of my own at seven. I had a white Arab mare. She was absolutely crazy. Her name was Princess and I loved her. (laughs) Why are the horses named Princess always crazy? (laughs) I'm telling you, she was always in heat. She was always crazy, but I loved her so much. So I did the whole open show circuit, the 4-H circuit, like raise your hand went on the outside of the rail when your kid is on the wrong lead. That was me. No matter what, I just wanted to be in the show pen. So she really got me started. And then I started jumping and got in with a jumping trainer down there that she had. And then actually the way that I got into quarter horses is a funny story. My parents and I and my brother and sister went on vacation in Missouri. My typical dad got lost on the way to the airport and just so happened to see a billboard for Cliff Hartman Farms. And so me being me and my dad being my dad, we stopped in. Not a clue. We did the apps. We did the open shows. And we went in to Cliff's farm and he showed us all around, showed us all these horses for sale. And my dad ended up buying an unbroke two-year-old for my 10th birthday. and so. Lo and behold, who gets their kid an unbroke two-year-old who turned out to be absolutely crazy and would buck everybody off. So that's how we got in the quarter horses was my aunt's assistant at the time was Amanda Quinn Hughes now, and she worked for Mark Stevens. So she worked for him as well as Andre Ferrer, and she recommended Andre to break this thing because he was rogue. And so... We pushed forward after he got broke. They're like, hey, we probably need to send him down there, get trained. And he actually ended up, I was top 10 at the Congress on him in the novice youth horsemanship. Amanda was sixth in the junior trail, sold him. He was fantastic horse, definitely taught me a lot, but that's how we broke into it. So just, they were definitely the building blocks. My aunt and Mark and Amanda, it was a really different way to get into the industry, but very, very cool. I always love hearing how, current trainers got started kind of in that background of what your progressions have been and 
especially as like a young, well, you weren't even a young adult at that time. So yeah. a youth and your experiences and whatnot. So now fast forward to the point where you are a young adult, where has your career taken you and what have your experiences been? Have you worked for anybody else? Did you always stay in Florida? All of that. So being young in this industry and growing up actually in Ocala, we moved up here when I was 14. It really led me to meet a bunch of people early on. And I actually got a job. My first job was with Kathy Kennedy. And my sister and I would go and we'd spend half a day there grooming and bathing. Lunge really liners? Lunge liners. Yep. Yeah. The lunge line. She's still to this day, the queen of lunge line. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. Fast forward to now, Bob and Kathy are actually clients of mine. And <laughs> we, we kind of joke about that now. Comes full circle. <laughs> it really has come full circle. So she was my first job in the industry at 16 doing that. And then I moved on. I used to do showmanship. Like I said, I traveled to people training horses a lot when I was younger. So when I was 16 and they no longer needed us because the the horses would only be there for show season and then she'd take a couple months off before the next crop come in, I started doing showmanship for Cecily Zytema. So she evolved into just doing showmanship a couple days a week to needing help at the shows. And so I really got a good base of organization and show management and just how to run your business smoothly with all these clients. And it was a really good experience. And I worked for her from the time I was probably late 16 till about 18. And then I went to work for Cole Baker. I worked part-time for him and I worked part-time for myself. And I'd ride for him in the morning and I'd go ride all my client horses in the evening. And I got to ride a lot of colts there. I got to kind of same thing I did when I go to the horse shows with them. I would do a lot of just grunt work. Just I never rode at the horse shows. I would just help set up, clean stalls, lunge. And I just I honestly didn't care if I rode. I just wanted to be there and be in it. And after Cole, I was think 20 and I worked for Wayne and Judy Davis and it's full circle again. I actually sold Wayne and Katie Joe, a two-year-old at the beginning of the year. So cool to be able to go back and forth uh, from past to present and still be working with these people. I worked for them and I traveled all over the country and that was like my first real experience showing. They gave me great opportunity to show some of the best hunt seeders. I have really got great show experience with them. But at the end of the year, I really decided that I was 21 at that point. I wanted to go out on my own and I really loved the all around stuff. And they just did the hunt seat and and a little bit of a pleasure. So I was like, you know what? I really want to start back up with my own thing. So I stepped back out and I had my own business from 21 to 28. And then at the big A in 2019, Anthony Montez came up to me and offered me a job, which was like my dream job. Bruce Vickery had always been like an idol to me. And I would sit at the Congress and watch him show trail and watch him practice and kind of stalkerish, but just his style and everything about him and how he moved. And I just thought it was absolutely mind blowing that they A, knew who I was and B, wanted me to come work for them. So it was never a moment's hesitation. I said yes, and I was 
heartbroken to leave my clients behind, but I moved to Texas in 2019 and I worked for them for a few years, which was a fantastic, fantastic experience. So in 2021, I did get a little burnt out. I think we all go through it and uh, decided to come home and take a break from the horses and regroup and figure out really, I'd never given myself an opportunity to do anything else besides this. And honestly, it was the best decision I've ever made. Uh, I got six months into being home and my dad suddenly passed, but I worked for him in those six months and I lived with him. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. And it was after that, I decided to go back into horses and I started my business back up. Wow. That's a great story. I'm sorry to hear about your dad's passing. That's certainly not a part of the great story, but I'm glad to hear that you were able to be there for that. It's uh, interesting how I think things just work out like they're supposed to. It doesn't always make sense in the time period, but it seems like the world works as it's supposed to over time. 100%. Couldn't agree more. So with your business currently, well, wait, before we dive into that, what was your biggest achievements, your biggest milestones up to your career before you now have relaunched your Kayla Kohler Show Horses 2.0 version? So before I went to work for Bruce and Anthony, actually, even before that, so I went to work for Wayne and Judy, and I actually didn't know this until after I had left. I ended up Reserve High Point Limited Rider in 2011 for the Hunter Hunter Saddle, which was a complete shock, super cool. And then it's one of the coolest horses, one of the toughest horses I'd ever had when my sister and I did our own thing when we were kids. We had this little $3,000 renegade sale project horse by Zippo's Mr. Goodbar. And when I tell you we were those kids that were just out there every day, we'd torture this thing. We just ride and ride and ride. But he, I mean, every day we try to buck you off. So his name was Make a Good Tiger Happy, the strangest name, but we loved him. It was a love hate relationship. But 2011, I was working for Wayne and Judy. We went to the Congress and my sister, we never advertised. Nobody knew who we were. We were just diehards. And she was reserved at the Congress in the 15 through 18 trail. Oh, wow. Oh, it was amazing. And she actually didn't believe me. She was so mad because she had two ticks and she got undressed. She put him up and she went to McDonald's. I called her and I said, hey, I think they called your number for top 10. And she's like, there's no way. I was like, yep. Yep. I think they did. So she went up there and she after the fact was we were laughing about it because she got down to the final two and she thought she was in the wrong place. Like she thought that, Oh darn it. I got here and I'm just that weird person that thinks they're <laughs> supposed to be here, but we're not actually, but she ended up reserved. So that was a super cool accomplishment. We had such fun with him. He was heck of a trail horse and a western rider she was top five on him in the western riding as well so he was one of our horses that really taught us how to do trail and western riding and then when i went to bruce and anthony's i really finally got to show like on the major circuits like at nsba and i won the two-year-old bcf on wine after whiskey one of my all-time favorite horses forever going to be one of my all-time favorite horses just incredible incredibly talented very blessed to have been able to ride and show her and then I caught road for Stacy Holes. I rode all good. And I won the BCF 
four to six year old limited hunter and recital the next year in 2021, I believe. I have ridden numerous horses for Bruce and Anthony that I I will forever be grateful to them. And honestly, the catch rides that I've been able to ride over the past couple of years has been a dream come true. I never thought in a million years as a kid way back when that I'd be fortunate enough to be where I'm at today. What's your favorite event to show? Probably the Hunter Under Saddle. I am 100% a English girl from time I was little. Okay, that was my next question. It was like, has that always been your favorite event or has that evolved over time? Oh, no, it definitely. I love the trail. Funny enough, I love to teach the trail, showing the trail, not so much. I actually just won my first trail fraternity last weekend. It's just one of those classes that I have mad respect for, and I love teaching it. I'm good at teaching it to show it. I'm just, it's not my favorite, but the Hunter Under Saddle, it's just that connection. I mean, and the I like to call it a controlled chaos because you're on these giant horses with like very little bit and very little saddle and very little spurs. And it's mm-hmm. You have to have all the connection in the world. Just And I come from, I did a lot of the jumping stuff when I was a kid. So it's just the bigger and crazier, the better. We always kind of giggle about the two-year-old hunt seat, even the even the open and the non-pro. I mean, why there is even a non-pro two-year-old hunt seat is somewhat debatable oh. to me, but it's, yes, it's controlled chaos. <laughs> oh, it's, I actually have a funny story about the two-year-old. I caught road for a friend of mine at the NSBA world a couple of years ago and bless it. The horse, I mean, he was quiet as a church mouse, was so good to warm up. Well, I trotted in the pen and I was one of the first ones to trot in and the workers decided that was a great moment to do all the trash cans. Mm. Not only did they decide to do the trash cans, but it was the whole big, I'm going to take the bag and fluff it up before I put it in. That horse lost its marbles. I was, Brian Isabel was yelling across the arena for them to stop. It was a time. I've unfortunately I've seen them do that several times there and probably (laughs) not just in Tulsa I think it's you know it probably happens everywhere because they just don't know but invariably it's always like the two-year-old hunt seat or pleasure or like the pleasure driving or something it's like could you pick any other class (laughs) it's it's like they know it's like an intuition for them just to come out of the woodworks yeah so true so who do you look up to these days in the industry? I mean, there's a few forever. Like I said, Bruce is one of my all time favorites. He's a wonderful individual. I actually lived with them for a little while while I lived in Texas. And he just is a wonderful, wonderful man. And he's a very talented horse trainer just to be able to work beside him day after day and watch and ask questions was Uh, dream come true and I definitely the knowledge that I received there was bar none and and Anthony as well like him in the western riding or the just the meticulous breakdown of everything was incredible and it made me a better rider and pushed me out of my comfort zone to just be a better trainer and I uh, have mad respect for Shannon Curl she is one of the most talented individuals I have ever come across. And I was fortunate to catch ride for her at the premier sires this year in the pleasure. And 
I mean, her horses are so broke and so easy to follow behind. And she's a great teacher. And not only is she talented in the pleasure, but she's talented in the Western riding as well. She just won NSBA in the senior limited Western riding. And she's just, everything's so well prepared. And then he doesn't show very much anymore. I was one of his youth kids back in the day with Scott Kyle. You don't hear much about him anymore, but he had such a great approach to the babies on how to break it down, keep it slow. I was with them when I was 14, 15. And the breakdown of just making sure you have your horse and all its parts before you move on to the next step, it carried over through my whole career. They're just, all three of them, I think, are absolutely wonderful in their own rights. Do you enjoy taking them from start to finish? I don't like to break babies out very much anymore. I definitely have a healthy respect now. I used to jump on anything. I used to do the bad babies and the bad horses for everybody. I've rode warm bloods and Lusitanos and Andalusians and Pasifinos, all the bad things for people around here. And Definitely have a healthy respect, and I hire someone to do my first couple rides <laughs> now as I get older. But I love like the progression of the babies and just teaching them and really helping them evolve. It's such a cool and just trying to figure out what works for each individual horse as they grow. I know we want to get into kind of your training philosophy, but do you enjoy the fraternities more, or would you say you enjoy? a little bit of the all around with the more mature horses or where's your sweet spot for that showing? So for me, I have really, I did a lot of like just the weekend kind of like I did the big A and stuff before I had my own business a couple years ago. But now as these new fraternities have popped up kind of like the premier sire stuff and I really have enjoyed the like trail fraternities and the maiden stuff and they're not super young but like I really like that you have a spot for the all-around but as well I have the opportunity to show the hunt seaters and the futurity stuff so I think the futurities are probably more my style these days I don't like to be gone from home very long so I either just pick a couple of the futurities and then move on I don't do too many of the weekend stuff anymore so it's definitely futurities for the most part yeah, I'm always like, God bless all around trainers, because that is a grind. <laughs> it's rough. That's it's so rough. Grind. Yeah. I was like, and I think the NSVA show is rough no matter what you do, because there are so many classes and, oh. you know, trainers that do both like paints and quarters. There's so many opportunities to have color horses and everything. So it's just like so insane anyway, even if you did yeah. one event. But if you do the all around too, I'm like, holy Mother of God, that's a lot. I don't know how people sleep ever. Uh, we don't. Yeah. We really don't. Literally. Uh, all around people, we just uh, designate those two weeks at the horse show just to not sleep. And I unfortunately got COVID, come to find out, at that horse show and was the tail end of it. I was not thriving. So it was a rough, rough horse show this year. <laughs> oh, no. So you actually you think you got it. Or you came down with it while you were at the show. This wasn't like you got home and then started feeling iffy. I started feeling iffy at the horse show. 
and I didn't really know what was going on, but it definitely full fledged happened after the fact. Um, I was down the whole next week at home, no taste, no smell. It was a horrible experience, zero out of 10 stars. It was terrible. So I was like, whoever brought it to NSBA, oh, not a fan. <laughs> I wonder, have you heard of a bunch of other people getting oh. sick from it? Was yeah, that a thing? I didn't go this year. And maybe that's a good thing because I did. <laughs> oh, we missed COVID, I, Liz. <laughs> you are very fortunate. Yeah, I heard a lot of people, a lot of people were like real sick. So I didn't test for it when I got home personally i just was like i don't smell anything and i can't taste anything so i'm just going to assume it's covid but i hope to never get it again yeah that does not sound fun at all i know jenna was wanting to touch on kind of like your training philosophy so can you like give us a little look into your training program and maybe how you structure just you know maybe a fraternity horse or if you have one in for all around yeah so anytime anybody brings me a horse, I first and foremost ask them, what is their goal? And I feel blessed if I get to show it. But first and foremost, when they come, I say, what is your goal with this horse? What are your dreams for it? And try to help them achieve it. If I show it on top of that, great. And then I'll give a little time, ride it and see if it matches up with my program. And I just try to figure out where that horse's sweet spot is, whether it's some progress fast, some progress slow, and just trying to keep that owner in the loop throughout the whole entire process of, hey, this is where we're at. So nobody gets misconstrued on, oh, well, I thought it was going to be ready for this time. And that way, we're all working together for the greater good of getting that horse to the show pen. But one of my favorite aspects of training is the figuring out that horse's rhythm and tempo and what they're good at and molding and evolving it. And I really tell everybody, you can't ride one that's like your favorite and expect the horse that you ride next to have the same feel. Like you really have to dive into that horse specifically. That's just like my favorite part about training is just moving from one horse to the next and seeing how they are different, but the same or where their, their strengths lie and just making them the best they can possibly be. It's just every day is a new day. And that's my favorite aspect of this is everything changes every single day. I love it. Did you like stop altogether traveling to the other barns or did you kind of do it gradually to bring them to your barn? How did that process go for you? Uh, that was hard. It definitely, it was great money. And I thought I could do everything. And I would get up at four o'clock in the morning and I would travel to people. And then I'd come back and I'd ride my horses at the barn. And then I slowly, as I got older, realized that I got tired quicker and I did not have enough hours in the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Getting older sucks. <laughs> It, it really does. It, I, and I just hired a wonderful girl. She's my groom and she keeps me motivated and keeps me going. And because at the end of the day to saddle eight to 10 horses, I am crippled. But I decided and I told people because it was really hard because I mean, 
a lot of amateurs that want to keep their horses at home, it was a great thing to have their trainer come out there and give lessons or ride. I had wonderful clients when I first left Wayne and Judy and went on my own. They hired me to come out uh, Monday through Friday and ride their three horses and give lessons. But at the end of the day, I was like, I can't have my horses that are in training with me at my place suffer at all because these people are spending their hard-earned money for me to be there full-time. So it was one of those things you had to have a conversation with people. Be like, hey, if you want, you can haul in, but traveling is just not an option anymore. And so it's just one of those things that's either have to do one or the other. You can't do both. Has there been anything else with your training program, training philosophy, all of that, that has evolved and changed over time now that you're in your uh, distinguished years of your 30s? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, early on, and I joke with like the people that have known me for that long. And my philosophy back then was I have like a lot of feel and rhythm and So it's easy for me to do it, but to explain it to somebody and have them understand it was different. So what I would do is I would explain something and then I'd be like, all right, tell that back to me so that I would remember what I told them because I would just start talking and I'm like, ooh, I don't remember what I told them. So I would joke, I'd be like, all right, what did I tell you? And I was like, all right, keep that in the back of your mind for the next time. But I mean, I feel like that was when you're 15, 16, your brain doesn't work quite like it should in a business aspect to train other people and adults and horses. And so, and I still a little bit to this day, like my clients will come out of the pen and I'll be like, all right, how did you feel? And that's a lot of my training program is I want you to be able to slow your brain down and think about what you did in the pen and be able to come out and be like, all right, this is where I went wrong. This is where I went right. And then we regroup and and we move on from that. But I mean, even just in the early years of my training program, I just, I would take anything and everything and just ride. And now when I take horses in, I have no qualms saying, Hey, this horse is not working for my program. I don't want to take your money. Like let's move on forward. We'll either buy you something else. We'll find you a different program that might actually work for you. And before I probably would ride from before dawn until after dusk, just because I wanted to ride. So now I'm honing in on wanting to do the maturity horses and making sure I'm doing right by my clients and right by the horses. Yeah, that definitely is something I think comes with just getting more mature in life in general. You start to value your time and not wanting to be slogging away at something that's your heart's not in. Largely, I don't know if that's the best way to say it but and I mean not just your heart in that horse but I mean I know there are just some horses that I personally don't get along with and right I don't want to tell that person that yeah it's working when it's not when that horse could be better in somebody else's program and I've done that before I actually did that this week I was like hey this horse there's just a disconnect between me and it and let's just regroup and figure something else out because, and I think that's maturing as not only a person, but a business aspect of it. And people have respect for that because I'm not just going to take your money and not ride your horse or cause a huge blow up with it just for another training horse. So 
it's good for all involved. Mm-hmm. I think we need more of that honesty sometimes when it comes to client trainer relationships. And I think that kind of brings us into a good little segue of like those type of obstacles that you've dealt with, maybe other issues or obstacles that you faced like in the business aspect of it. And maybe even compare it to like when you started at 15, maybe did you get help with those kind of talks or were you just kind of like breezing it over? How did that go when you were first starting at 15? So when I was first starting, I think, I mean, God bless my parents because I'm pretty sure they were like, what are you doing? I charged like $250 and they could stay at my place and I'd ride it for hours on end. And so as I went to work for like Cole and Wayne and Wayne was really good about like the people aspect of it and the business aspect of it. Wayne and Judy were great on that. So I really got to learn a lot through that. So when I went back on my own in my 20s, I was like, all right, let's do it. And I'm a very money management savvy person as a whole. I'm very big on I love to do I'm strange, but I love to do like paperwork and billing and keeping everything organized. (laughs) You are strange for a horse trainer. (laughs) I am. I do. I mean that in the nicest way, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But I do. I love the, I set up my desk and everything is filed and got my little labeling machine. Everything's very organized. And so as I went through, I would break down on like what hang grain costs, what does my stall cost, what does my shavings cost? And I would try to, okay, well, at the end of the day, I need to be able to pay all these bills. Well, then I have my phone bill, my truck bill, my trailer bill, whatever. So it was a breakdown of like, okay, how can I keep training horses, be cost effective for everybody and still be able to eat at the end of the day. A lot of buttered uh, pasta for a long time Mm -hmm. and uh, pancakes, but (laughs) ramen noodles never goes out of style. (laughs) Girl, I did not know what those things were until when I moved to Texas. Is it a Midwestern thing? (laughs) I am not kidding you. I'm a girl that likes to cook, but we had a, a big storm blow through and the power all went out and it was snowing. So the girl I worked with at the time, she, I was like, what is that? And so she taught me how to make them. I was like, okay, well, not my favorites, but I do now know what they are. I know. I was like, they're a dollar a pack works in a pinch. I, that's like, every. Yes. I survived on ramen noodles and Cheerios when I was in college for a lot of yes. it. Well, I yeah. miss my college years. So I think that I kind of yeah. have to do with it. But yeah. yeah, so I definitely, I did a lot of things cheaply for the client and I definitely was pinching pennies there because I didn't want to bill out. And so I ended up paying for a lot of things myself, unfortunately, in my early years. But I broke into doing sale horses, which really helped. I had a partner and she and I did tons of sale horses back in those years. And that kept me going. So when I transfer back over and I came back to Florida and I reestablished, it was a lot of, okay, like I can't do that anymore. Like if this is for your horse, you're going to have to pay for it. And everybody's wonderful about that. I don't like to overcharge, but I have learned definitely that like money management in this industry, we tend to overspend and everything's big and 
lavish. And I have learned that our business or my business personally needs to just be smoothly run and cost effective for everybody involved while still being able to pay my bills. I can definitely respect that. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, I think speaking from an amateur owner side is everybody needs to be willing to foot the bill for the expenses of their horse. I mean, it's wild to me to think that, you know, trainers should have to inherit the costs of anything, you know, like it's our decision to put them in training or go down the road with them. But I can see how easy it would be to let little things slide and like kind of get sucked into that. But if you'd let enough little things slide on a bunch of different horses, then it becomes not a little expense for you either. Yeah. And that's what I did before. And I had different clients for, I've always had wonderful clients and stuff, but it was probably a more open show slash like lower end quarter horse paint clientele, which was a lot of me traveling to them. So they were on a budget and I get it. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to just help everybody out, but I didn't realize in the time. And I mean, it's one of those things you go to the grocery store and you might not be able to afford one thing in there. So you're not going to buy it. And I needed to realize that that's kind of the way it goes with this too, is like, if we can't afford to go to this horse show, there's going to be another one and we'll just budget for that instead. But like I got myself into a bind a couple of times in my early twenties, just trying to help people out. And instead of just having that conversation. And I think a lot of me personally, anyway, I hate confrontation. It's not one of my favorite aspects of being a business owner. So I would just let things slide. And I'm like, eh, it's better just to I'll take care of that and $20 here or there built up. And so I keep everything very organized in my billing now. And I'm very upfront with my clients. And I'm like, hey, can we do this? If we can't, totally fine. We'll move on to the next. But it's just definitely uh, communication is key in any good relationship and especially in your business. That way, everybody knows what's going on and you know what you're getting billed for and everybody's happy at the end of the day. Yeah, of course, people have a great way of trying to do things beyond their means and getting caught up in that rat race of things. And that's not a good place to be living for sure. (laughs) No, it is not. It's hard enough being a horse trainer and we don't make a lot of money. We do this because we love it. And it is hard. I mean, when we're surrounded with people that can afford and because they have big money careers and it's great to be around, but definitely, I mean, I supplemented a lot of the time by banding and braiding. I did a lot of banding and braiding last year um, and a lot of catch riding. And I did a lot of no sleeping because of it, but it definitely put me forward in my finances to be able to everybody joke they're like do you ever sleep I'm like no but I also have everything paid for in cash so it was a great decision I can sleep now but it was a great decision in the time yeah good for you that's huge it is what has changed in the horse industry in your eyes in the last we'll say decade you know I really feel like the futurities have grown and evolved and it's become more friendly to just almost like the Riker. I remember going to the Riker years ago and it was just fun. Like everything was fun. And I felt like after that one, there was no real horse shows that were super fun to go to that got Mm -hmm. everybody involved. And I feel like, especially with Claire's horse show, she's really bringing that back. And that's, I mean, one of my favorite horse shows to go to. 
is just because you have games and you have time to go hang out with your friends and go to dinner. And I really feel like they're incorporating more horse shows like that, which is wonderful for us because it is a grueling time. But we want to have fun. That's time we get to spend with our friends and our clients and keep enjoying horse shows. I love the fact that they're starting to do like trail faturities, the three-year-old, four and five-year-old, the maiden stuff. I love that that all-around stuff is getting their chance to do some of the money and maturity stuff now, which I think is going to help grow that aspect of the industry as well. So when you're traveling with clients and stuff, what is your like sweet spot, I guess, on the amount of horses that you would want to take to focus on? Is that something that you've kind of managed to balance out over the years or is less, more, that sort of thing? So early in my career, I would take everybody. And that was a mistake. (laughs) I learned that sleep was not going to be a thing. And it's not a thing most of the time anyway. But I would take like 12 horses to a horse show by myself. And I always felt like I needed to do everything. I was being a control freak. So then I when I went to Bruce and Anthony's, they take like 30 head to a horse show. It was so many. Trail days were insane. But it was one of those things that we had so many assistants and we'd hired help on and still at the end of the day, we still don't sleep and it was still a lot. But when I went on my own, I decided I'm only going to take like six to seven because that way you can still focus. Nobody feels like you're getting more time to one or not on the other. You're bringing horses that don't get ridden enough and because there is only so many hours in the day that you can devote to this. And if I ever get over that, it's definitely going to be hired help, just someone to help lunge and saddle and and do that. But me personally, I don't want to take right now in my career, having like a riding assistant, I feel like my clients send me horses for me to train. And I need to focus on that because they are paying me maybe in the future, adding an assistant. But for now, I, I definitely... I'm a little bit of still a control freak on that. I want to know each horse that comes through my barn. And I feel like that way I can properly go to these horse shows and help my clients. So like probably six, seven, eight right now is my sweet spot. I respect that. I think that's a good number for a person. That's still an ambitious number when you're doing <laughs> everything you're on. I mean, that's a lot of work, but... Uh, I am very fortunate though, because the clients that I have now... I have some that stay on the grounds. And if I set feed, they feed for me early in the morning. Yeah, They do their own stalls. On show days, I personally like to lunge the horses that I'm showing. That way I have my hands on them. I know. And if anything goes south, it's <laughs> You know where their fault. mind's at. <laughs> yeah. But like if they're not showing that day, then I let the clients go out and lunge them. And, and they're very good. They help me clean them up. So it's really kind of a family style type thing. And we all help each other. And that way, at the end of the day, we can still go to dinner. Perfect. I love it. Yeah. So if the hunt seat maturities are your kind of your favorite event or shows class, I guess, yeah. to show in, what are your favorite shows to go to throughout the year? Premier is definitely one of my favorites. Like I said, it's just there's so much and she gives so much to it. That horse show is a blast. And I unfortunately wasn't a limited rider this year, but I did that limited three-year-old limited rider last year before and I was reserved and it was just like a fun 
atmosphere the whole time. And then we did the trainer challenge that year to be able to do the horsemanship again was amazing. Mm -hmm. Reliving my youth days. But I love that horse show. And I I feel like everybody kind of has a love-hate relationship with the Congress. I (laughs) loathe that horse show, but I also cannot wait to go to it every year because of just the prestige of it. Like, it's the Congress. Everybody wants to win the Congress. It's just one of those things in your career that, I mean, is a milestone for anybody. So, and I, I was fortunate enough to be fifth last year in the limited maturity hunter under saddle. That was the first time I've ever placed at the Congress in the open. It felt like winning to me. It was so cool just to be in that atmosphere as an open rider was a cool experience. I imagine your time is coming when it comes to being the last one at the Congress in the arena. (laughs) From your lips to God's ears. (laughs) (laughs) We have had some success of like generating trophies for people that have been on our podcast (laughs) lately. So yes, (laughs) I hope that comes true. (laughs) I am hoping that comes true this year. I am very excited (laughs) to go. And I have, I actually have no hunt seaters personally in my training program right now. Oh, really? Interesting. I think it's hysterical. My career, all my trophies, all my wins have been in the hunter saddle, but I have all around horses. I actually just purchased a yearling hunt seat baby by Good Better Best. I was like, well, maybe I'll just do it myself. My client and I bought him together and I'm like, next year. (laughs) But I have a couple catch rides, very, very cool catch rides this year for the the hunt Mm. seat stuff. Well, on that note, in my amateur group that I run, somebody had, I don't know, asked a month or two ago about younger up and coming trainers, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. And I know you're pretty established yourself by now, but your name kept coming up. I mean, like over and over and over again. So that was cool to see. And you have a lot of admirers out there. So I'll tell you that. I had a couple of phone calls that day and people were telling me all about that. And I was very, very humbled. Like I never in a million years thought I'd be here as a little kid who was just horse crazy and going through the Chronicle, hoping to be someone someday. And that was beyond humbling to hear all that. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody's name can get thrown around for bad or good once or twice. But, you know, if you hear something repeatedly, then there's something there. So, yeah, yeah, that should be a feather in your cap, I feel like, because it was, I mean, I bet probably 30 times or more throughout this like 200 comment long, you know, thing. So definitely. Wow. Yeah, that that is cool. Extremely humbling. So as we kind of start to wrap up here, but what is on the horizon for you going forward? What are your future, I guess, immediate term future goals in the next like year or two years, five years, that kind of thing? For me, I'm very blessed to have a full barn right now of amazing horses and amazing clients. We're pushing forward to the Congress right now. I've got, I'm only taking a, a handful, taking four, three to show, one to ride around and I've got a really cool trail horse that I really hope to do something on at the Congress this year, but I'd really like to win the Congress in the near future and then just start really evolving my program and my clients. I just want to go to these big shows and be able to hang with all these big name trainers that I've looked up to all these years and just keep on keeping on. That's I just want to ride horses. 
this is one question that just popped into my brain, but when you said you went through a little bit of burnout, which I think anybody that's been in horses and especially show horses can relate to at some point, but was that with being the training aspect of it and you just needed to kind of take a step away and decide if that's really what you wanted to do? But I don't feel like we lose the love for horses, but we can get burnt out by the industry, if that makes any sense. Or what was it for you? Yeah, definitely. We went hard for a couple of years and the work-life balance was just not there for me. And I started missing out on a lot of my family stuff. And I previously had lost my mom when I was 22. And like realizing my dad wasn't in the best of health and my sister I knew was getting engaged soon. And my brother's still down here. And I really just missed my family and and they were going on vacations and having all the holidays together. And it really just got me thinking on as a whole, my work was becoming more of my life instead. I needed to change that a little bit. And so I feel like we definitely put our heart and souls as trainers into this industry because we love it. And I know I get a little obsessive and I, I still this day will be out in the barn until dark. I'll go in my house and I'll come back out because I want to do something else. And we tend to forget that, you know, you do it for so long and eventually you have no more energy left and you're just tired and exhausted. And you do get a little resentful of going to horse shows. And it's one of those things clients call and text at all hours of the night and there's boundaries where work and personal life tend to just run together. So when I left Texas and I came back here, I just needed to to really rekindle that passion for it. My dad was a big supporter in that and he told me to go out and he gave me an amount of money and he's like, buy yourself a project horse. Just learn to relove it. So that's what I did. And I went out and we groomed him and pet him and played with him. We got a little weanling and just learned to reestablish the love for the horse instead of it just becoming my job. So I think everybody just needs to have that little bit of balance and just remember why we got into it. Like, oh my gosh, how many times have we said that this last few months, Liz, is like everybody forget, we forget, or it's easy to forget how far you get from just being in this because you love horses. 100%. And that's, yeah. I mean, if you don't recenter yourself, then something, you know, the universe will or something will humble you to the point where you have to take a step back like that. It does. I mean, I've had a lot of friends here recently. I mean, you've heard a lot on the internet about people getting seriously hurt or killed. And I mean, when you take a step back, you're like, A, is it worth it? At the end of the day, if that's you, what in your life have you missed out on because of it? Like, I know for me, at the end of the day, I wanted to be with my family more. I wanted to experience life. I wanted to go on a vacation. A vacation is something I honestly have really never done. So November will be my first actual real adult vacation. Without horses? Without horses. <laughs> uh, I have like, I used to take vacations with my family, like as a kid and stuff. But it's one of those things that I know for me, I'll come home from a horse show and I'll be so revved up to like, all right, this is what I need to fix. This is what I need to do to be better. And I think that's what got me so burnt out the first time around was, all right, all right, we need to have a little fun. We need to go and regroup. And I think when you regroup and you go on vacation or you go do something, 
and you come back, your passion's still there. You're ready to come back to it. So work-life balance. Yes. Yes, Liz, work-life balance. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Well, any industry, it's definitely any industry. Yeah, it is. And I think it's part of being a whatever we're called right now, middle-aged adult is learning those things and where your sweet spot lies on the work-life balance. Most definitely. But we've taken up an hour of your time now, which has been amazing. Do you want to provide contact information or where can people find you or Facebook page, website, any of that type of thing that you want to give out? Yeah, no, I'm on Facebook, Kayla Kohler Show Horses, pretty easy to find. All my contact information's there. You can email me or call me. Like I said, I'm based in Ocala, Florida. And uh, what a terrible place to be, by the way. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so nice. It's so- it is wonderful. I am very blessed to live here. I grew up here, so it's definitely evolved over time, but it is a beautiful place. It is. Yeah. It's stunning down there. The only question I do have though on that is like, sure. do you ever get tired of hobbling to Oklahoma and Texas and back and forth all the time? Or is it not that bad for you? You know, for me, I am an avid reader. I read a lot. So I throw on a book and just cruise. I actually really love it. I can finish a majority of a book on the trip and then turn around, and do another one on the way back. So it really doesn't bother me. It's just a part of the industry. If you're in Texas or Oklahoma, you turn around, you go to Vegas or right. Ohio. or It's just a part of the industry. So you learn to spend your time in the truck. And to be fair, you do hear that a lot from most trainers is that they really don't mind hauling. And maybe it's, you know, like it's a little bit of downtime for you guys where you can just sit and kind of be mindless to some extent. I know hauling big trailers is not completely mindless, but... You know, correct. So correct, but yeah, it's one of those things. It definitely hauling home sucks. It's the <laughs> when you're exhausted. Exactly, no sleep. You're just revved up on energy drinks and just praying to get home. And I know, like, even on our last trip back here, me and Kaylee Coffee, we were sitting on the phone together. She's like, "What are you doing? Keep me awake. Help me," because <laughs> it's just it's exhausting. But I mean, truly, throw on a book or throw on some good music. Call a friend. It's it's really kind of a good way to catch up with people as well. Very true. All right, Liz, anything else today? I think I'm good. It was very nice talking with you, Kayla. Love Ooh. how your training program sounds. Wish we had a few more like it. Thank you. And there is maybe some word that I'll be at Congress doing some like sound bites and candid pictures. So I might have to come find you. Yeah, I'll be in the Gilligan. You come right on over. I'd love to meet you in person. Perfect. Awesome. All right, Kayla, thanks so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday and your photo shoot coming up. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Take care. All right, that'll be your class. Bring them in and line them up.